Could we start a new uh, lesson today coming out of that 54th chapter of Isaiah? Talking from the 5th and the 8th verse. Um, it says, For thine maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thine redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall be called. God of the whole earth shall he be called. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. In here we see that he's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ the Redeemer, our kinsman Redeemer. This is the first part of a two-part series on him being our Redeemer. That, that enlarges the scope of what this prophecy is about, and I take it that y'all all read that 54th chapter. I think it's only 17 verses about seeing you, you barren, and that he had turned his back on his people for a while. And if you look at the whole scope of that, it also could be talking about the Gentiles, whereas Israel was inclusive as his people at one time, and he, he, the Gentiles were not his people. What we see with Jesus Christ when Isaiah prophesied that he would be a light unto the Gentiles. So they were a people without God in the book of Hosea when he says, those that I say were my people are not my people, and those that I say were not my people are my people. And we, we may use t- today, either Saturday, in uh, Sabbath day services, and in Sunday's teaching on the Redeemer, Ruth and Boaz, that's the kinsman Redeemer. You remember, Boaz was the kinsman Redeemer to Ruth. So we see Boaz was a type of Christ, an Old Testament type of Christ. And we see Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. Let's go all the way back to the book of Exodus, the sixth chapter of Exodus, and the sixth verse. It says, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will free you from their bondage. I will redeem you and rescue you with an outstretched arm. In other words, with a vigorous, strong arm will I rescue you and with great acts of judgment against Egypt, where we see here that he's going to bring great acts of judgment against the whole world. We see that going on now with the weather. We see that going on politically and religiously. If we would see that maybe this is the great tribulation we're coming into, and as you look at it spiritually, he's calling us out of Babylon. In other words, calling us out of the world while he brings judgments on the world and the people of the world. And I was talking on the way up here how I look at a few things that has happened and transpired in my life. As I begin my journey to the Lord, I see where those weapons that were formed against me didn't prosper. It may have hindered me. It did some things to me, but it, it hadn't overcome me. It says, no weapon that's formed against you shall prosper. In other words, you have to, God starts allowing you to see things from a spiritual perspective, from his perspective when you are born again. That's why Jesus Christ came as a man to redeem us, and Egypt is a type of sin, a type of the world. Uh, that's kind of a mention of redemption when he says he's going to bring us or buy us out of bondage. We're all in the bondage to sin. We're in bondage to sin, the world, to death, and all of these other factors. And so as an individual, as a human, a blood, blood, what can I say, a flesh and blood human, we need redemption from the body of this death because every man is born to die. Every man is appointed to die. At this time, he does not mention the redemption price, though, in Exodus. He doesn't re- reflect on what it would cost to buy us back. 
only that it would be at great judgments that this would happen. And we knew it was at great judgments to Pharaoh when he redeemed Egypt. When he, I mean, when he redeemed Israel out of Egypt, it caused the destruction of all of Egypt. Just about as the Wiseman can say it that you see the country is nearly annihilated. Well, we will see the, the destruction of this world. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But his word and those that are in his word, those that are forming the new heavens and the new earth, the kingdom of God, those are the ones that are last. The reason he tells us, spread not thyself because of evildoers, for he are cutting them off. And some of us are just seeing the demise of the enemies that come up against us. It says, every tongue that speaks against you, he'll cut off. That's why we have to watch what we're saying against people that, to whom we say it, too. The parable of the millstone and the lost sheep shows Christ seeks the lonely and rejected. The young man came up to the truck before we were leaving, Travis, and he was saying about how he respected me and this and that there, different things, and he asked if I have any work to do. I said, well, no, not right now. I have somebody doing the yard, and if I have some work to do, I'll let you know, you know, every once in a while I may give some water, a few dollars to catch the bus or something or whatever. You see, people, I have relatives and different people, you don't despise those people, no matter how they dress, no matter what their lifestyle, no matter how they're living. There's a lot of homeless people and different people out in the world, and but by the grace of God, that could be us. So you never talk about the condition of the individual. You never despise the people that are, are rejected, lonely, and outcast in the world. Matthew, the 18th chapter, the 10th through the 11th verse says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now the explanation of why he should, why we should not despise the weak Christian in relation to the care Christ gives to them. He takes the fathers, the oppressed, those that have been mistreated. That's why he says, rejoice you barren for you will bring forth more than her that is married. Though that those things that are rejected and despised in life, because that's why he, as a flesh and blood, as our kinsman redeemer, he can relate to being rejected. He was rejected by the Pharisees for who he was. They say he was born of fornication. They say he had a devil, so he wasn't from a, a line. They didn't really couldn't see his bloodline, but he had came from. Solomon, not Solomon, but he had came from David's bloodline. That's why he calls himself son of man. You hear a lot where he says son of man in the book of Ezekiel. They use the terminology son of man. Because he indeed is the son of man because he was born flesh and blood. He is the seed of the woman. So he has man's blood in him, but he doesn't. How can I say this? He, he was born biologically as a man, but he don't have our blood in him, though he has blood in him. He's the seed of the woman. So this means he's a spiritual seed. He wasn't born of the biological seed of man, which was condemned because God condemned sin in the flesh. So flesh and blood, notice it says flesh and blood shall cannot inherit the kingdom of God because that blood is contaminated. So the blood that he had wasn't contaminated blood because it wasn't man's blood, even though he was born of a woman. The son was given. That redeemer came as a man. But he didn't have man's blood. He was sinless. Anybody that's born of man now has that contaminated blood. The whole race is doomed. First, God's angel watches over and aids his followers. Some of the universe's highest and noblest beings who enjoy the favor and fellowship of God ministers to even the spirits of Christians 
he says his angels watch over them, the guardian angels. We all have angels, he says, Hebrews 1 and 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them, to them who shall inherit or be heirs of salvation? The living Bible says, no, for the angels are not only spirit messengers sent out to help and care for those who are to receive his salvation. So the angels come, they bear, like he said, the angels shall bear thee up, lest I dash thy foot against the stone. So God sends angels, he sent angels to what? He sent, he's dispatching angels, the children's angels. In other words, God is guarding his creation. That's why he tells us no weapon formed against us can prosper. We start seeing in the spiritual realm that there's more fuss than against us. We can only see physically and seem like circumstances, situations, people against us. Sometimes you can fall into depression when you think your children are against you, when you think your parents are against you, when you think nobody loves you and you're stressed and depressed. All of those are spirits coming from Satan, and he, he came to release us from the bondage of these spirits. These spirits and familiar spirits and all these, these are seducing spirits and doctrines of devils because everything has a voice in your ear. So he came as a man, and he can only do it as a man, but it is, it is us creating man in our image. And when we say us, what us? That's what he said in the beginning. Let us create man in our image and after our likeness. So as Elohim being a family, it was God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. But also, as we are compassed about by such a great, great tide of witnesses, I was telling you about some people that came and told me about the situation, what happened to some of my enemies and different people, because you don't know who comes and give you a word of exhortation. A word to build you up. Somebody that you don't even know. Or uh, sometimes your enemies can say things to strip you. People can give you a blessing or uh, come along and say to do this. You have to start looking and searching for God's answers in the voice of God, whether it be in me. A lot of times they will pass. That was the voice of God. That's what, when you pray to God and when you come to church and you hear teaching and everything, God speaks, and you have to start hearing God's voice because it's a loud and it's a loud voice that's speaking through all things. God speaks in His voice, the invisible creation. All of that has spoken of God. The grace of God had appeared to all men. God speaks to us through different things. He spoke to Balaam through the through the horse, through the donkey. I, I the level will say it. The ass. He spoke to him. He spoke to Peter by the rooster crowing three times. He spoke to, speaking to us, and the louder that something or that little voice gets inside of us, as we be obedient to him, we hear his voice. He says, must you hear my voice? You start to distinguish what is right to know the good and accept the good and discern good and evil. And I told you, discerning of spirits was very important, and you get that in the worship, in the walking of God's word, and being obedient. So we all in all, and I was saying, we become one with God, and it's us helping create man in our image and likeness. When the Father's heart turns to the sons and the sons to the Father. That's why a lot of times I'm on the phone, I'm talking with my daughter, if my sons come over, and I'm talking with them or whatever, and I'm telling them what's right and what's wrong and what's godly, and that that's what we're to do. That's what redemption does. It gives us a responsibility or obligation from God. As Moses says, I wish you all would prophesy. Prophesying is speaking the word of God, and they shall all be taught of God. We should all start speaking the word of God and the things of God. John 17 and 4 says, I have glorified you down here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. 
he says he had glorified the Father. That's Jesus speaking. Since the Son has returned to the Father in heaven, and the church is formed and joined to the Son as one organism, right? We're the bride of Christ. We're joined unto him. The church now has the responsibility to glorify God. That's our responsibility. He's went back to the Father. Now, if we're one with him, that's our responsibility. He says, I've taken out of the world. Now you're the lights of the world. The salt should not lose its savor. We should be the lights of the world. So we should guide the way to glorifying God. By becoming one with him, just as the son was powered by God's spirit given to him, that's why he gives us the spirit to glorify God. We become as he is. The word goel, goel, that's a biblical word and is used in different cultures even today. Is a person who as the nearest relative of another has certain obligations toward them, such as having to free them from slavery, to repurchase their property if sold through poverty, and to avenge their murder. So we see that was the same as the avenger of blood. It was a near relative. But this Goel, Jesus Christ was a Goel. Boaz was a Goel. And he told Ruth, I mean Naomi though, I mean, told Ruth, and Naomi explained it to Ruth, because Ruth was a Moabitess. But Ruth had joined herself to Naomi because she said, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. Being adopted as a Moabite, we know a Moabite wasn't allowed in the congregation to the 10th generation. They were cursed away from the temple to that time. But those were the ancient relatives of Lot. They were Lot's daughters. But we see that when Naomi's husband had went to Moab and the two sons had died and he had died and it left Ruth the Moabite, she came back. So to get that inheritance, Naomi's sons, Chilean's inheritance, the tinsman had to marry Ruth and raise up a name to Fertilians over that household. That was the kinsman responsibility. But Boaz says there's a nearer kinsman than I that should do this. But he said that it would mar his inheritance if he did that. So that passed it along the lines to Boaz to do that. And like I say, I'll talk off and on on that the next two or three days. I don't want to go too far with that analogy with Ruth. The Redeemer, and I said the fifth and the eighth verse here where he says, he's our Redeemer. It's a next of ten unto whom, according to ancient Hebrew custom, devour certain family rights and duties, including the avenger of murder, the murder's kin to blood, and the redemption of the person or property of a relative in debt of in debt of helpless circumstances. And that's why God says he would be a father to the fatherless. He would be a husband to the widows. He would be a guardian to those that are oppressed, those that are mistreated, those that are wrong judgment. That's why he tells us to fret not thyself because of evildoers. But it came in the guise of Jesus Christ. He's that Goel, that kinsman redeemer. Now the kinsman redeemer had to be the same as one being redeemed. So spirits are not legal in the earth. God had given the dominion unto Adam. Adam was destined. John MacArthur had a series about that and talked about that. They were destined, and that's why in God's word you say, will be a royal priesthood kings because kingship was God's destiny for man to rule and reign and have dominion. But through the subtlety of Satan, he undermined and he inherited man. 
in Adam all died because Adam has sold the human race to Satan. But Jesus Christ came to buy men back to redeem man. But not all men. Let's get that straight. He's a near kinsman, but not to all men. Uh, the book of Leviticus says, if one of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell some of his property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. And I don't want to go in, I may go into Saturday about the year of Jubilee and all of these other things. But redemption means deliverance from some evil by payment of a price. Now, him being the redeemer, I told you there were several days that he redeemed us from. Because we were completely sold in the sin. Now, there are some requirements of God for the goel of the kinsman redeemer. The first requirement is to be a near relative of kinsman. So Jesus Christ took on human flesh to fulfill this requirement, to be our God, to be our goel, I mean. His incarnation fulfilled this requirement to be of the same flesh. So you see how he condemns sin in the flesh. Those that are not born again are condemned, and that's why I say he didn't die for all men, because there are some men that are of their father, the devil, and those don't have faith and those don't have saving faith, a belief to, a belief to a saving faith. So he condemns sin in the flesh, but he came back to redeem some, some of those, the remnant. Uh, Hebrews 2, 9, verse 12, verse here. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, by taking on the limitations of humanity. In other words, he was made a man. He overcame as a man. Now, get this straight, because a lot of preachers and teachers preaching this, but he laid aside his divinity. In other words, he couldn't use this divinity. It would have broke the plan to pick it up at any time, and he kept to the plan. That's why he says, thy will be done. So if he overcame as a man, that's why he's our example. We have to overcome as men. Because if he overcame as God, we wouldn't have had that ability because we couldn't do what he did. He says, don't you think I have the ability to call a legion of angels and they would deliver me from this if I wanted to? So he came to do the will of God. He was crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering of death so that by the grace of God, that he might experience death for everyone. So he came down as a man, so his death would be a substitutionary death, where this is a man, this obligation is fulfilled, because God requires the death. But if Jesus Christ has paid that death, he's paid that debt all, we don't die. You see what I'm saying? We, 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 we don't die the second death. We have eternal life, but we may die or go to sleep in this life, but it's not death. We can lose our life in this death. But since we are born again and have eternal life, it's just rest. It's just like being buried with Christ. There is a resurrection. That's why Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth, and in my body I shall see God. For it was fitting for God that is an act worthy of his divine nature, that he, for whose sake are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. He had to do this. He came back so that he could bring a legion of people back, that we would be joint heirs with him should make the author and founder of their salvation perfect through suffering, that is, bringing to maturity the human experience necessary for him to be perfectly equipped for his office as high priest. In other words, he had to suffer just like we suffer. He was made to go through what we go through. I was talking on the way here to you about your boss man. 
And I was saying, don't go back and tell him this thing. You some things you need to keep to yourself. He may not be a suitable boss man in some areas if he couldn't understand the problem that you were presented with in a time constraint. That if he hadn't did that job before, or if he had done that job before, he would know how long it takes to do the job and who was making the error. God know who makes the error down here, whose fault it is. I will tell you, whoever puts the wrong gasoline in that unleaded tank and put the wrong gasoline in the diesel tank, it could be found out who did it. Everything done in the dark shall come to the light. They could trace it back as me and my son, and he works at Exxon, and we were talking about it could have been the people at the distribution center who put the wrong gas in the tank into the truck into the wrong cylinder. Doesn't necessarily have to be the man that physically put it in there. Are we understanding what I'm saying? So Jesus Christ was made a high priest, so he suffered like we suffered. He know what we're going through. Eric Tony Evans talking about this wonderful quote. See, that's why we appeal to Jesus Christ and he's our redeemer because he has suffered as we suffer because God can't suffer now. That's why I say he was a man. Jesus was a man. But God can't, God don't have feelings. You think any of us can hurt God? We can't diminish or take away anything from God. I heard Jessica Planner say Jesus was crying because he couldn't find Hold on, Jesus was crying because he couldn't get somebody to do something? I need to leave your church right quick with that doctrine. You can't hurt God. There's no power. No enemy can do anything to God. God is sovereign. He sent his son to suffer as a man. He laid aside his divinity. And so you can't, God can't feel. If you get hurt, that, that doesn't take away anything from God. Jesus said he had felt the power when the woman touched him, the faith leaving body, but it didn't diminish his faith. It didn't diminish. We can't take it. No weapon formed. If he could say no weapon formed against us can prosper, it's because he makes the weapon. Jesus said he do the evil. He do all things. Get away from a religion that teaches you that God is in some cosmic battle with Satan. Jesus has all power. God give him all power. Satan don't have any power. He can show that in Job. He have to ask before he can come do us anything. He have to ask God, can I do this? God rules creation. He says lightning strike over here. Fire go over there. Rain go this way. Read the book of Job. You see why he's in charge of everything in creation. So your situations and circumstances, that's why it says with prayer and supplication, let your request be known to God. That's why I ask you, are you praying all the time? Just as Jesus prayed all the time for certain situations, God feel those, fulfill those situations, we can pray that same prayer. If it's fervent, the fervent effectual prayer of righteous men availeth much. Both Jesus who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, that is spiritually transformed, are made holy and set apart for God's purpose, are all from one Father for this reason. So that's why I say we all, all in one, and Jesus is the sanctifier. Everything is done through Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. That's what all the other witnesses get trapped up at, is that everything is in the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every niche above. The Father giving him a name above all and giving him the preeminence. He's the chief of that Godhead. He is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I would declare your name unto my brethren, to the Father in my brothers. So he's not ashamed to call us brothers because God sees us in our finished state. we covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when God looks at us, he's looking at perfection because we're under the blood. That's why he said Job is a perfect and upright man because Job had knowledge of his Redeemer. Not that Job was sinless. He says he was perfect and upright. That's the way we are. We're complete in Christ. We're complete in him. And Hebrews 2, 9-11 opens to us a spiritual reality that we must come to understand and appreciate 
if we are to make the most of this. Because of our disobedience and resulting curse of death placed on us, we could never experience what is said of us in Psalm 8 through 4, Psalm 8, 4 through 8, which the author of Hebrews referred to here. But it was Jesus it was speaking of. However, Jesus suffered death and gained the victory as a result, and he wears the crown of glory and he rules the universe. We know this being as God in the flesh, but the author uses his earthly name, Jesus, so that we can see the historical setting of this victory. So this was actually God come in the flesh, the Son of God. But he had laid aside the divinity. He was the only begotten Son of God, but he was given. So he had the same limitations of man, and he was able to be killed. And those religions of people that say he swooned on the cross and that he wasn't dead, no, he was dead. He said that he was going to be, he was going to die. They was going to murder him. Men was going to murder him and he was going to be in the grave three days and three nights. Let's study the Bible to get all this accurate, okay? In Hebrews, the second chapter in the tenth verse, we find that every one of verse nine is real, in reality is not the whole world. It's not everybody. Now he's the author, the pioneer, the trailblazer, the forerunner going before us in our salvation. And I'll tell you that word, the archipagos. In other words, Jesus did it all, and that's our example. And because he did it all, that, that was the requirement. He is the one clearing the path, as it were. And as we make our calling, as we make our way following our calling. In Hebrews 2, and 2 he calls, he's called the author and the finisher, or the perfecter of our faith. The Father made him pass through gruesome suffering on our behalf. He completed his preparation for the responsibility that he now holds as our high priest. That's why I say he's able because in every area he's been tested and tempted as we were. The Father has charged him with the task of preparing the rest of us for eternal life. It's all in Christ's hands. And who the Father has given to him, none shall be lost. Nothing can pluck those out of his hand. Jesus, therefore, is the one who makes men holy. And that's why he says, I give you another comfort, the Holy Spirit. Now, he's going to abide in you. That spirit he's giving you, that's the earnest. That's the surety of your salvation. That's the seal of your salvation. That he's going to complete the work that he's given you to do. He started it, and he's going to finish it. You don't start something and quit. He completes whatever you do. And if he had chosen us from the foundations of the world, we know it's complete. The path to salvation lies in obedience to doing God's will. And that's why I say you have to be a doer of God's will. So you must know his will. And as you're doing his will, you start understanding, yeah, this is coming from God. This is not just something here before. There is a spirit essence in this. It starts to change us. It starts to communicate with us. It starts to give us that zeal. It starts to give us hope. There's fruit born from doing the will of God, not just hearing. And a lot of people in the church talk a good talk, but they don't walk a good walk. And that obedience should be given out of gratitude because one understands and knows the Father and son from within an intimate relationship. That's why I say you have to be one in one. The wife can't divide from the husband that they no longer want. They should plead together and become one. So if he bought us, we become one with him, one with the Godhead. Verse 2, I told you about, I would declare your name to my brother in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praises to you. In the Holy Family of God, this spiritual relationship supersedes all human aspects. What is spiritual is stronger than what is physical. And that's why he says, who is my mother, father, brother, sister? Those that do the will of my father. Jesus died for our sin. Nobody else did that. Jesus died for our sin. He redeemed us from the curse of sin. All of the ensuing curses of sin 
and he forgives our sin. He gives us gifts. He gave us the gift of eternal life. He gives us in all areas, and he releases us from the bondage of sin. He redeems us from sin bondage, and he leads us to glory. And because of his sacrificial work, he is not ashamed to call us brothers. This implies that we, in turn, may call Jesus our brother. We're joint heirs with him, and he's our brother. Now, that's a great privilege there to be able to be called sons of God. If you adopted into that family, wouldn't you feel obligated to start looking like that family, walking like that family, talking like that family, becoming bonded to that family? Hebrews, the second it says, Therefore, since these his children share in flesh and blood, that is, the physical nature of mankind, he himself in a similar manner also shared in the same physical nature, but without sin, so that through experience and death he might make powerless or ineffective him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So we're no longer afraid of death. We, he took the sting out of death. He took the victory away from the grave, that he might free all of those who the haunting fear of death was, healed, was held in slavery all their lives. So we no longer have that hanging over our heads. And as I was saying with Sister Harris, you can see that how she faced death, the strength she had in facing death, and many other saints as Peter, Paul, and John. You want to be a member of the church that knows that there may be an end to the road down here. You may sleep down here, but there is a resurrection. You have to be like Job said, though he slayed me, but yet he was the servant, and yet in his body he knew he was the seed, his saint, his redeemer. For as we all know, Christ does not take hold of fallen angels, but he takes hold of fallen descendants of, of Abraham for deliverance, and not Fallen man that is disobedient, those that reject him, has a problem. Therefore, it was essential that he be made like his brothers in every respect. Now, since we God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, this is the living Bible says, since we God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood too by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die and in dying break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in that way could he deliver those who fear of death have been living all their lives as slaves to constant dread. As it was necessary for Jesus to be like us, his brother, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest. One who both was merciful to us and faithful to God in dealing with the sins of the people. Now here in Philippians 2, 6, 7, and 8, it says, Who although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, as one with him, possessing the fullness of all the divine attributes, the entire nature of deity, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped or asserted as he if he did not already possess it or was afraid of losing it. But he emptied himself without renouncing a diminishing deity, but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine equality and his rightful dignity. He laid this divinity aside. He laid all of this aside and became a human. And he walked the dusty trails of men suffering the same things as we did, but he didn't have the sinful blood of man. He was not Joseph's biological son. He inherited the biological rights from Joseph. Okay? That's why he was born in that lineage. But the seed came through David's David's other son, not through Solomon. First John 1, in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. So we see God here became man and lived among us. 
Now, the second qualification are the requirements of a goel, a kinsman redeemer. One who has the means to bring about redemption. You couldn't bring it about if you're broke or whatever. Remember, this guy, other man that was a closer, near relative than that Boaz was, that it would mar his inheritance if he married Ruth, if he chose to be a redeemer. So he passed on. Now, see, it could have been that he couldn't afford to do this. It would also give Ruth's children rights to his property and would mar the inheritance among his children. That's why Proverbs says don't spill your seed in the streets or whatever. When you go to having children out of wedlock and all that, it spreads the seed around. That's your seed. So Ishmael was the seed of Abraham. God made Ishmael a nation. So your stepbrothers and all of these brothers, you know, Abraham had other children after Sarah died. He married Keturah. But Isaac was the son of promise, of faith. So this is not to the physical seed. This is to the spiritual seed. First Peter 18 and 19 says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, and from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The Amplified adds it this way, it says, For you know that you were not redeemed from your useless spiritual unproductivity, way, improductive way of life inherited by tradition from your forefathers, with perishable things like silver and gold, but you were actually purchased with precious blood like that of a sacrificial lamb, unblemished and spotless. So it was the blood of Christ. It came at a great price that he redeemed. When Hosea redeemed Gomer, it was for the price of a slave, but he bought her back as his wife. He had to redeem her from the marketplace. So God bought us back. It wasn't money and everything, but it was the cost of his blood. That was the price of redemption. That's why he's our Passover lamb. You remember, that was the way to redeem the firstborn that died that night by the blood. Uh, the description of what happened to Jesus in Exodus 12, 3 through 14 designates that by the blood that was shed. But he also purchased us from slavery to sin. Those that are in, condemn, uh, in Christ Jesus, there's no longer any condemnation and that we shouldn't continue in sin, for sin no longer has dominion over us. You shouldn't serve sin, and whoever you yield your members to, that's who you become a servant. So if you yield your member to righteousness, we are bond servants of Jesus Christ. We've been bought with a price. Paul talks about that. We've been bought with a price. He bought us with his blood. It was a very costly price. John 8, 34, Jesus answered, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, everyone who practices sin habitually is a slave of sin. If you continue to sin, you're a slave of sin, and you yield your members up to that. But he has freed you. You don't, you don't have to sin. If you're in Christ Jesus, we no longer, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a creature of flesh, worldly, self-reliant, carnal, and unspiritual, sold into slavery to sin, and serving it in under control. But thank God, through Jesus Christ, he had bought us back. To give us power over sin. We should take that authority. That's why you can't use it. Well, this is the way I always been. My nephew was saying, well, you know, that's how he always been in his life. No, that's why he gave us a new heart so we could change. We have a transforming lifestyle. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We no longer do what we used to do. It's a struggle. It's not easy. But that's a death that we have to die. He died a death and we have to die a death. But we die a death to self. We have to die to this world, the face of this world. 
the pleasures of this world. You can't sit around watching TV all day and doing nothing because you got a job to do, and that's to glorify God. You have an obligation studying his word, praying, or doing something. It necessitates, just like God did something, we do something. Romans 6, 16-18 says, Do you not know that when you continually offer yourself to someone to do his will, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? Either slaves of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness, right standing with God. But thank God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient with all of your heart to the standard of teaching in which you were instructed and to which you were committed and have been set free from sin. You have become the slaves of righteousness. In other words, of conformity to God's will and purpose. You are liberty that's in Christ Jesus. You're no longer under the law. You're free to follow Christ and be led by the Spirit of God, and it's going to lead you into all truth. It's going to loosen the bonds of sin, but you have to loose those shackles. There's a walk, and you have to press on. It's pressure. It's, it's doing. It's suffering. You have to suffer to enter in this. Now, the, other, the third is four things here. I, I, can I finish these four? One who had the desire to accomplish redemption. Do you, do you have that desire to get others saved? Are you willing to die for others? Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Are you willing to die for your children? Are you willing to die for your relatives? Are you willing to exude, as the apostles did, give yourself to glorify God? John 10, 18 says, No man take it my life from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment I received of my father. So you, Christ was willing and we have to be willing. He laid his life down. So we have to volunteer this. Once we are born again, we consider it a responsibility, an obligation. Read Matthew 16, 24 through 25. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciples, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, anything of the comfort of the flesh. You need to learn self-control. And the spirit is the only one can do that. It can tame the tongue. It can give you a drive. It can give you zeal. It says, and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come. Whatever comes, I'm willing to endure it. He says, nevertheless, thy will. So he was willing, or we willing. He says, whatever comes and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering, or perhaps dying because of faith in him. We may have to die. I'm not saying you will have but you have to die to self to all of your carnal needs. He says, for whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake will find it that he is life with me for all eternity. Now he said, you may be willing to die. You may die. A lot of saints have gone home to glory, but he had given them eternal life. They were alive, but they all sinned. Where am I? Here, move a page. I skipped the page. I'm sorry. Here we are. This is the last two pages, and I'm done. Jesus fulfills this last one also. The avenger of blood. The avenger of blood. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. What happened in the Garden of Eden? You know, Adam and Eve were murdered in the Garden of Eden. They were killed. Now, God says the day that they ate of the fruit, they shall surely die. Satan was on with that information. Now, you may ne never have thought of their death in the garden as murder, but God called it that. I'm, I'm not the one saying that. That's not something that's twisted here. They were alive when Paul says, I was alive without the law, but then sin entered in and I died. 
So he's speaking of mankind. He's speaking in Adam. They died spiritually, and from that time on, they were dead in trespasses and sin. Now, they may not have died physically that day, but they died spiritually. Romans 5 and 12, Ephesians 2 and 1. Romans said, it says, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest of it, thou surely die. They died that day, right? He didn't have to restate that. Romans 5 and 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came in the world through one man, what one man it was, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all people, no one being able to escape its power because they all sinned. We all sin in Adam. We all die in Adam. The living says when Adam sinned, sin entered into the entire human race. His sin spread to death throughout the world. So everything that begins to grow old and die for all sin. Even creation was cursed for its sake. So that's paradise laws. Paradise has become dead and issuing forth thorns and thistles because of its transgression. But how did this come about? What is the instrument of this? Why did I say that? Jesus Christ is the second heaven. He's spiritual. You remember, he don't have man's blood. In the book of John, the eighth chapter and the forty third verse, we learn that Jesus turns to the Jewish religious leaders and asks him, why you don't understand what I'm saying? And before they can answer, Jesus explains why he said that. He says, it is because you cannot hear my word, because faith coming by hearing and hearing the word of God, but only God should hear his word. He says, because you cannot hear my word, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. What else he said, though? He said, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whatever he speaks is a lie, and he speaks it from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of it. When he lied to Adam and Eve and said, Thou shalt surely not die, he murdered them. It was an intentional lie. It was an intentional deception. He killed them. Just like you follow a false prophet or false leaders, his words shall surely kill you. If the blind leading the blind, they all shall fall in the ditch. So whatever religion you in, whatever teaching you under, the poison of ask in your tongue because the power of life and death is in the tongue. If somebody's trying to speak to get you to disobey God, to disobey authority, that person is trying to bring about your death. He brought about the death of Adam and Eve. He was a murderer in the beginning. So from the first portion of this, he went up against God and says, Thou shalt surely not die. Now, believe it or not, we will end right there. That's going to be earlier than we normally do, but I know you're in the heat and everything. But, that's why I say we need to focus on just what Jesus did, how he did it, who he was, and the requirements that he fulfilled as a kinsman redeemer. So when he says, I'm your redeemer, we need to look unto him, constantly focus upon Jesus Christ. You won't fail in any area of life. You'll prosper, become uh, abundantly prosperous, and succeed in Christ. Heavenly Father,